This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I am very excited about the guest of today's episode. His research relates to rehabilitation, exercise science, and cryotherapy. He has published numerous peer-reviewed papers and popular articles about cryotherapy. He has also authored a book about the influence of cryotherapy to enhance performance and recovery. Currently, he is the postdoc postdoctoral researcher at the University of Portsmouth. Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to introduce our guest, Erich Hohenauer. Welcome, Erich. Thank you, Oli, very much for this kind introduction. Yeah, did I pronounce your name even close to correct? Yes, that was very close. <laughs> All right, thank you. You're polite. <laughs> All right, so so uh, Google reveals me that it's 12 degrees Celsius in Portsmouth. Does, does that count by any degree as cryotherapy? Uh, no, that's uh, probably a little bit too high to be called a cryotherapy. All right. So what kind of temperatures you basically need for cryotherapy? Um, normally, it, uh, it depends um, on which medium we are talking about. There are mm. um, several uh, methods uh, to apply cryotherapy. Um, the most popular forms are using air or uh, vaporized uh, nitrogen but also mm. water and all of the different mediums have uh, different temperatures which are um, traditionally used. Yeah, so if, if we're talking first about air, what, what is the temperature threshold? Mm. Um, right now we are, uh, we are having a very um, new situation that, um, that, that cold air is used in uh, sport settings. Um, traditionally, um, whole body cryotherapy, for example, or partial body cryotherapy, or in general, cold air was uh, used to treat uh, rheumatic uh, patients, and mm. that was uh, invented in uh, in Japan. And um, it's becoming more and more popular now in a sport setting to uh, enhance uh, recovery and performance. And uh, normally, the temperature in these uh, cryotherapy chambers or cabins are um, below minus 60 degrees and they go mm. up uh, for example in a cabin up to minus uh, 195 degrees celsius all right so, it um, sounds quite freezing <laughs> yes it is very cold but it is a very uh, dry cold mm. and and is air superior to water or how does it go mm, no it is um when the, um, it has to do with the with the thermal uh, conductivity of uh, mm. each material. And uh, when you look, for example, the, the highest uh, heat extraction can be achieved with a melting ice, uh, mm. which is followed by, by water, and um, then we have uh, air. So we can extract uh, heat 
24 times more with water compared to, to air. So this is also the reason why um, we don't have to go uh, that deep with the temperatures for, for water because that's the thermal conductivity of that, of that um, medium is um, much higher than to, to air. Mm, yeah, makes sense. And in cryotherapy, is the idea to kind of have the skin as cold as possible or get the core temperature low quickly? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the excess organ of a cryotherapy is uh, obviously the, the skin. But um, when we are looking, for example, for uh, pre-cooling, so when we cool in front of, um, in front of an exercise, the aim is to cool either the, the, um, the shell temperature or the core temperature. So the mm. idea behind this is to enlarge the temperature gradient between the core and the between the core and the shell temperature. While when we go for post-exercise cooling, we are mostly interested not to decrease the the core temperature, but to decrease the uh, tissue temperature, for example, of the of the muscle. Mm. So there are yeah. different uh, concepts uh, behind it. Yeah. So why do you want to have the contrast in the pre-cooling? Why do you have want to have the difference between core and cell temperature? Yeah, that is um, because what we what we know is um, that the core temperature under resting conditions is normally uh, 37 degrees centigrade and the, the shell temperature is around um, 32, 33 degrees. So uh, that's the main mechanism why the heat can be trans transported from the core to the shell, especially when the, the environmental temperature is very low. We have, mm. um, we have mainly a a four mechanisms to uh, extract the heat from the inner uh, body to the outside. And these are evaporation, radiation, convection, and conduction. Mm. And all of these four uh, mechanisms work quite well. However, when the, when, the, when the environmental temperatures increase or when we exercise, the core mm. and the shell temperature will increase. And mm. um, we will have the, the problem is that heat flow goes, uh, goes only from, um, from high to low. So once the environmental temperature is higher than, for example, the core or the shell temperature, it is very tricky for the, for the body to get rid of that heat. And mm. so what we have to do is we have to uh, increase our uh, skin, flat flow, uh, skin blood flow to maintain the heat transfer as well as the heart rate to guarantee an adequate cardiac output. Um, mm. However, in that... Um, ongoing situation the the um the stroke volume of the heart has to decrease because of the increase in the core temperature and that is because of the uh, reduction of the cardiac filling pressure and of the shorter diastolic filling time of the heart it's also called the cardiovascular drift and what we are aim with a uh, pre-cooling is to lower even the shell temperature or the core temperature so that we can have this uh, heat transfer to the environment going on. And this is what you will also uh, see when you, for example, do a cycle ergometer test mm. um, and your body heats up 
immediately when you open the window, you will have this chill effect from the air and then your heart rate will decrease because you don't, uh, because you have a redistribution of blood back to the muscles. And normally when you heat up, um, this, um, this, uh, this blood has to be delivered to the skin to cool your mm. body. While when you have a cool skin temperature or a core temperature, the blood is more distributed to the, to the working muscles. So these heat yeah. gaining environments are uh, always performance uh, limitations. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, let's have a short break and hear a few words from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Yeah, so when do you use the pre-cooling? What kind of situations? The most, we did, um, we did a, a meta-analysis on this uh, topic and uh, looking which pre-cooling modality is the, the most effective one and under, wi- under which uh, environmental conditions. Um, what I have to say is the most efficient way when you're working to get rid of the heat is the evaporation of sweat that makes mm. around 80% of your uh, heat loss. However, um, evaporation is strongly dependent on the relative humidity. So once the relative humidity will increase, your uh, evaporation rate will decrease. So there's an inverse relationship between these two um, parameters. And the same is um, true for the the temperature, for the reasons I uh, said before. So the best would be when you pre-cool on temperatures which are above 29 degrees centigrade and uh, when your uh, relative humidity is above 30%. So then you will see a positive effect of pre-cooling. So Mm. these are the thresholds. The higher the environmental temperature and the higher the relative humidity is, the stronger effects you will see with uh, pre-cooling methods. Mm. And how much these pre-cooling things are being used in the in the sport and and for example athletics? Yeah, they are, are getting they are getting more and more uh, popular. Um, however, it's it's always the it's always the case that um, especially in elite sports that um, the use of an, of an intervention is not related directly to the amount of uh, published articles. So it's, mm. um, but it is, it is well, it is, uh, it is very well used in uh, the athletic field. And for example, for pre-cooling, we know basically external pre-cooling methods, um, internal uh, pre-cooling methods and uh, mixed method methods. And I think it will become uh, very popular, especially when we look into the future and the upcoming uh, Olympic Games in, in Tokyo, which are supposed mm. to be the hottest Olympic Games um, ever on the planet. 
Yeah. So, so in in practical terms, how how do you do it? How close to the competition you need to do it, and and what do you need? It's probably not easy always to do it in the in the athletic venue. That is true. It is um, often um, a logistical problem, and therefore uh, internal cooling methods are very popular. So, mm. um, internal uh, pre cooling methods are, for example. Um, to drink some uh, some cold water and there we have to mention that the amount of water you should intake then is between 1 to 1.5 liter and the water temperature has to be uh, below 4 degrees centigrade to be effective or what is also popular is that you ingest uh, crushed ice and mm. the normal amount for um, crushed ice intake is a uh, 6 to 8 gram per uh, kilogram body weight so mm. that's normally a very easy way to uh, do a pre-cooling method. However, we have also other forms, for example, uh, cooling vests, which mm. are um, which are used and they are normally applied between uh, ten to sixty-five uh, minutes in front of the in front of the exercise. And what is uh, very effective is uh, one of the most effective methods for pre-cooling are uh, still cold water immersion because um, I told you already uh, before, um, with uh, water you can uh, extract very much heat from the body. And so normally um, in cold, when you do cold water immersion as a pre-cooling method, you uh, apply it for um, around 10 degrees and use eight to 10 uh, minutes, or you can go for a little bit warmer temperatures, 23 to 24 degrees centigrade, and apply it uh, 30 to uh, 60 minutes in front of an um, exercise. However, that is not always uh, capable because you, mm. need, uh, you need a tap, you need a constant water temperatures, and you need a lot of water to uh, mm. up, up to the sternal uh, level. So how does it work with the warm-up? Anyway, you, your joints need to be warmed up for many sports. Is there any conflict between cooling the body, but then kind of keeping it warmed up, especially the joints? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, that is true. Um, so what we, what we see, for uh, what a problem could be uh, when you cool down a joint, and mm. uh, this has already been shown from a colleague from us, from uh, Joseph Costello. Um, when you cool down your uh, joints, um, you may get a problem um, for the joint positioning sense. So this mm. means you might have um, a higher risk of getting injured when uh, your joint temperature is low. And mm. that risk will be uh, there, will be present until the tissue has um, came back to the to the baseline um, to the to the baseline temperature. Um, however, what we uh, pre cooling is especially um, is especially effective um, for for enhancing endurance performance. So all kind of open end tests, for example, mm. endurance running or endurance cycling. Um, we don't see that much results positive results of pre-cooling when we um when we look at um maximum 
performances, for example, sprinting times are not affected from a pre-cooling. Also, peak power output is not affected from a pre-cooling. And mm. that might also have to do with the, with the muscle temperatures. When you have a slightly cooler muscle temperature around 27 to 29 degrees, your endurance performance will increase while for maximal effort, you need slightly higher muscle temperatures because the lower uh, muscle temperatures will um, impair the muscle contractility. And also the muscle blood flow will be redirected to other portions. And so the working, the working muscles will not uh, have enough, enough blood. So mm. the risk is, um, yeah, the risk is uh, countable, I would say. It is uh, when you have low impact, the risk is probably lower compared when you have, for example, a sprinting exercise, when you would apply a pre-cooling method there, I think your risk will increase compared to that uh, endurance to that endurance um, exercise. Hmm. Yeah, makes makes sense. So how do you do the sequence between cooling and kind of warming up or or mm. warming do, doing the movements kind of getting ready for the competition? Mm. So the the idea of uh, of pre-cooling is um there are two ways. What you can do is to uh, to rest in front of the in front of the competition and then applying your uh, pre-cooling method, trying to get as um, to get as cold as possible. But what you also can do is pre-cool your shell um, while doing your warming up. So what you will create there is you're warming up your muscles, but uh, mm. you're not wasting energy to cool down your skin. So mm. this is a quite common method. For example, on a cycle or in front of a, of a, um, a cycle tournament, the people are um, sitting on a cycle ergometer and they are warming up and wearing um, a cooling vest, for example. And mm. for a, and that is a practical thing. So when you are sitting in the cold water immersion, obviously you have to rest. And mm. uh, while when you wear um, a cooling vest or when you are ingesting a drink. You can you can work at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and and is there any evidence that some of these would be better vest or internal or external cooling? Yeah, that is uh, conflicting in the literature. What we see is a very strong effects of um, of a cold water immersions, um, mm. but also the but also the the cooling vests and. The combination of cooling vests and, for example, a tie cuffs. So, the more of your body surface you are cool, the better. Um, mm. There is also evidence available that um, internal cooling has a beneficial effect on performance. But uh, in the literature, it is um, a discussing point which of all of these um, techniques is the best. It is obviously harder to. Um, to decrease the core temperature via internal cooling or via exterior cooling, mm. then to cool down the, the shell temperature, which is, which is very easy when you cover a large uh, surface area. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah. I would, um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was about to ask, like, just if it's mm. 1.5 liter of water, which is four Celsius, and then you compare it to 20 D. 
three degrees water that you are for half an hour is it the mm. same amount of, of kind of temperature uh, change mm. in the body i wouldn't say that no um because with your um with your internal cooling you um you will or you can decrease for example your gastrointestinal uh temperature mm. for um a certain for a certain amount and um what what could be what is also discussed in the literature is that you maybe uh, promote uh, sensory advantages when you ingest a uh, cold water mm. um, which you won't have for example with um, a cold water immersion most of the people don't feel that cold water immersion very comfortable however with cold water immersion you will definitely affect the skin temperature and probably the core temperature so these are two different uh, two different concepts of uh, of cooling mm. and and how about the hydration during the race so basically yeah. you can drink sports drink either Absolutely. cold or body temperature what yeah. what should it be i think that is a very good point because um, with internal cooling you have this possibility to uh, deliver uh, nutrients to the athlete, for example, the fluid, which is the main factor, but then also carbohydrates and electrolytes. So um, I think that is a main advantage when you do uh, internal cooling because you have this positive side effect to uh, deliver these additional nutrition to the to the athlete. While um, while this uh, pre-cooling via cold water immersion that is um, only possible for a certain uh, for a certain time but during the race you cannot help the athlete with with that uh, method so mm. it might be good to um, to pre-cool the athlete with a cold water immersion in front of the race which is a very effective method to get down the shell temperature and during the race if it's possible provide him with uh, internal cooling beverages so that he has these additional nutrition during the race. Mm. So if, if you drink cold water or cold uh, sports drink during the race, it will be absorbed slower. But then on a, on a other, other hand, it will mm. help you cool in the cooling process. And you think it's beneficial more the cooling process than the slower uh, absorption. Yeah, I think so. I think so that this might be the case. Mm. Um, because the internal cooling will uh, decrease the amount of um, of building up the heat inside the inside the body. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I think I will have a competitive advantage in my, <laughs> in my next race. But, but remember, it should be hot and humid. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I, I might be taking part in. A, in a running competition in Wales, oh, which, okay. which is like running, you have three persons in a team and you run 24 hours up the mountain, oh. the biggest mountain in Wales, the Snowdon. Oh, wow. So, okay. but, but I think probably the weather is, is not that warm that I will, I will get the edge from this <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, so we could move to the post cooling or do you have yep. something you would like to say about the pre pre cooling? No, that is fine for me. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, so tell us about post-cooling. What's what's important in that? Yeah, for uh, post-exercise cooling, that is um, normally it was also uh, traditionally used um, in the therapeutical setting just to uh, relieve pain. And that was, for example, after um, muscle injuries. And we all know we have these... Um, these um, three main phases after a muscle injury, the uh, destruction phase, the repair phase, and the remodeling phase where uh, scar mm-hmm. tissue is built up and the recovery of the muscle function. And already there, uh, cryotherapy was um, discussed controversially. If mm-hmm. a cooling after an injury um, has a beneficial effect because um, the tissue perfusion is reduced and uh, also the nociception, the, the nociception is uh, um, reduced after the after the cooling. And people were discussing if it's if it has a negative effect on tissue regeneration. So right now, um, what we see is that this um, post cooling f- from injuries moved also into the athletic field. And mm. nowadays, it's um, it's used as um, a recovery modality, so that you are uh, f- that you can perform higher and better at an earlier point of uh, of time. And um, mm. traditionally, it is uh, used after the occurrence of exercise induced on of up, after delayed onset of uh, muscle soreness. Mm. which will occur after the unaccustomed high intensity exercises. And everybody knows it, uh, that the disruption of these, um, of the microscopic parts of the muscle, the sarcomere, sarcoplasmatic reticulum, and the excitation contraction coupling system. And all of these will lead to these delayed onset of muscle soreness symptoms. Mm. And delayed onset of muscle soreness is um, well known. Um, to uh, limit a recovery because it will lead to uh, muscle swelling, sore muscles, reduced range of motion and loss of muscle strength and power. So also there we have some uh, very popular uh, modalities which are which are used. However, compared to pre-cooling, these uh, modalities are naturally just externally applied. So we have um, local applications like uh, cold cuffs or cold packs Mm. we have um we have um we have for example again these cold water immersions and nowadays very popular uh, partial body cryotherapy or even whole body cryotherapy um the the aim of all of these um cooling applications are the same what they want is to decrease the metabolism to um, reduce the inflammation via mm. a vasoconstriction. Yeah. And yeah, yeah go on. Yeah, and all of these all of these different modalities have uh, different effectiveness. So we have uh, we have studied a variety of these applications uh, where we applied uh, different cooling modalities after uh, muscle damaging protocols in males but also in in females and uh, we had a look which of one is the is the most effective to enhance uh, performance recovery mm. so so basically it's done to decrease the inflammation but, but exactly. isn't it also that 
inflammation is kind of necessary part for muscle growth or it kind of improves it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I think we have to use a post-exercise cooling in a very clever way. Um, mm. I would I would agree or I would suggest to use, for example, post-exercise cooling in the tournament settings when you're mm-hmm. not interested in muscle growth, but when you're interested that your that your participant or your, your athlete can perform as high as possible. Because then you can decrease these um, the metabolism and also the inflammation. However, I wouldn't suggest to um, use post-exercise cooling after a strength training because, as mm. you take, because as you said, um, it might attenuate muscle adaption uh, following strength training, and this is something you don't want. So when you go training, you it is good to have this delayed onset of muscle soreness because and leave the leave the delayed onset of muscle soreness symptoms go on because they will lead to these adaptions of the muscle. And when you cool it artificially down, you will attenuate these adaption processes. Mm, Yeah. So basically it's about whether your intention is to have muscle growth, that whether you should be cooling. I'm thinking just like, for example, some skill sports where the main point is skill, but Mm. during training you will get uh, muscle damage would you would you say that it's good to cool after those training because probably the muscle strength is not the main point in that sport? Mm. Um, I would I would suggest even when your training is a, a skill training that mm. you should not uh, influence the physiological processes which are going on because it's not only uh, because of the adaptions of the of the muscle. But mm. what you also will do is, for example, uh, decrease the nerve conduction velocity. And so all of the neuromuscular adaptations, um, which will go on after this training, might be negatively influenced after the post-exercise cooling. So when your intention is to, to train, I would mm. rather suggest that you leave the muscle as it is and don't interact with that uh, recovery process. Mm. Well, while, while when you're in a tournament and you're not interested in uh, building up skills or uh, muscle strengths, then you can apply a post-exercise cryotherapy to uh, be fit on the next day as much as possible. All right. So basically only in the, in the competition when you need yeah. to be in shape, you would recommend using it. I think quite many, quite many sprinters, I think they use it after the training sessions, do you think it's it's not the best thing to do? I would I wouldn't do that to be honest. Um, mm. I would, as I said, I would leave the the muscle as it is, because all these physiological processes which are going on after the training, they make uh, good sense, and I wouldn't um, and I wouldn't I did not I wouldn't uh, interact with these uh, processes. Mm. And and if we go back to the injury, when would you apply ice? For example, if if there's a twisted ankle and mm. it doesn't swell like really fast, it's you hear the snap, it's it's a bit painful, but it's not swelling like that much. Would you put mm. ice or not? I would um I would I would put on the ice if it is uh, if it is necessary. So when you have when you are in a lot of pain, 
then I would um, apply then I would apply the ice. Otherwise, what you could do to reduce the edema, for example, is that you take uh, a, comp a compression bandage around the ankle. So mm. this will also reduce the swelling, but will not interact with the physiological processes which are going on after this uh, tissue damage. Mm. Yeah, makes makes all the sense. Mm. Yeah. So now we have covered the injury and the post post cooling. Uh, so how would you do the post cooling in 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 a tournament uh, setting? Yeah, um, uh, what I can suggest from from our research is that um, that you should also cover a very large skin surface area. Mm. There is uh, there is only limited evidence available that shows that a local post exercise cooling has a positive effect on uh, on recovery. So, for example, cold cuffs or cold ice packs, because you won't cover the entire muscle with these uh, devices. Mm. Um, what we see is that again a very strong and probably one of the one of the strongest effects we will see for post-exercise cooling is again with a cold water immersions. Hmm. And this is normally more feasible um, after, a, after exercise than pre-cooling because you have much more time after the race. And the optimal temperatures which you should use for a post-exercise cooling should be between, um, the water temperature should be between 5 to 15 degrees Celsius and mm. the duration uh, should be around uh, 10 to 24 minutes. And um, we have seen that cold water immersions can efficiently uh, recover subjective, but also um, objective uh, recovery outcomes. Mm. Um, the very new things which we see for partial body cryotherapy and whole body cryotherapy, I think there is only limited evidence available today. And we need much more studies uh, to confirm this, uh, mm. whether to, to prove if this uh, if this method is uh, efficient or not, I think what um, what in, what very important is for post exercise cooling is to consider um, when you if you apply it um, for male or for females, for example. So mm. that will make a, a big difference, um, because what we have also seen in um, in our studies is that there is no one um, one fits all method for post exercise cooling. Mm. We know that uh, the women have uh, a different amount of uh, body fat, but also a different distribution of uh, of body fat, especially around the gluteal femoral part, mm. and. Um, that will make it a little bit more trickier to extract that heat from the female body because mm. we know that the thermal conductiv conductivity of fat is two times lower compared to that of muscle. So when we use the recommended um, temperatures and duration, we might have effect in male participants, mm. but the effect in female participants is questionable. And there is also not much research uh, today available which has investigated post-exercise cooling um, in a female population. So the, the amount of fat is a big uh, thing which we should consider. 
male and female, and for example, also the trading status of the males. So um, when we have a well-trained male with a very low body fat percentage, this mm. guy will profit much more from post-exercise cooling than a recreational active, which uh, compared to the uh, well-trained athlete, a uh, higher amount of uh, body fat. Mm. I think that is uh, important to, to mention. Yeah. Can you, can you just overcome it by, by kind of having a longer cooling period if, if there's more uh, adipose yes. tissue? Yes, yes. Then you definitely have to... Uh, I wouldn't go uh, much uh, lower with the water temperatures because 5 to 15 degrees, that is already very cold, but I would enlarge the application time. Mm, yeah. That that so, makes all um, the sense. Yeah, we we can also uh, we can also make uh, you could also provide, for example, a skin fold measurements. We know that, for example, uh, when you have a skin fold uh, below twenty millimeters, and mm. you have a skin fold, for example, for uh, fifty to uh, sixty millimeters, that your uh, cooling time will uh, will double mm. when yeah. to uh, to reach the same amount of tissue temperature. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. And from a practical perspective, usually you have an access to shower. Uh, mm. Can you do it well with the shower? Is the water cold enough and and you can apply it only part mm. of the body at, at its time uh, its time point? Do, do you think it's uh, feasible to do it with shower? I think when you don't have um, the access to a to a water tub, it's um, it is worth uh, trying it with a, with a shower. Hmm. Um, However, uh, what you will be missing in a shower will be the hydrostatic pressure, mm. uh, which you will have in the in the water tub, and especially this hydrostatic pressure um, seems to have at least uh, an effect to uh, enhance the recovery process because it will lead to a redistribution of blood into the abdominal uh, region, and. Uh, this you might not have uh, when you use a shower. So mm. um, whenever it's possible, I would um, I would take um, a tub and um, and to and to fill it up with cold water, add some ice mm. because that is very easy to control. And when it's not possible, then you might go into a cold shower. But I think that's that's not the same. It's comparable, but it's not the same. Mm. Yeah makes sense and if if i try to summarize uh so basically you use the pre-cooling in the competition setting you get the advantage from that and post-cooling yeah. you would only use in the tournament kind of setting so am i am i correct absolutely yeah all right and and this i think quite many athletes use it then a little bit wrong they use it after exercise and also these these air cryotherapies are yeah. are marketed with the with the big advantages 
absolutely and you see um, and you see the top athletes using um, using different post exercise cryotherapy uh, methods um, but nobody uh, really questions if it makes sense or not after a training mm. and yeah. uh, and we know already from the literature that um, applying cold after strength training will um, will uh, reduce the adaption to a st de strength training exercise mm. yeah yeah I think many athletes probably like to go to the cold water because then they feel that they are sacrificing. They even even are ready to go to ice cold water after every session. So <laughs> probably yeah, it's good yeah. for them. You, you, you definitely feel refreshed after it. Yeah, yeah. And you have given everything you have. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, so how about, uh, I'm from Finland, so, so we have a lot of saunas. How about, yeah. how about the hot temperature after a training or a race or before or after mm. um, we have a, a phd uh, student in our laboratory who is just going to investigate this so yeah. uh, basically she will have a look um, how hot temperatures will um, affect the, the recovery after uh, muscle damage mm. um, or after a strenuous exercise yeah yeah so uh, i cannot i cannot really say something about this right now and uh i don't know the literature very well yeah yeah so do, do you have any any guesses anyway you know quite a bit about the inflammation process uh, would it make sense that it actually yeah. in increases the inflammation and do you do yeah. you guess that it would be good or yeah. bad if i had to guess i would say um <clears throat> that uh, normally what i would expect is that uh the hot temperatures after um, after a training might um, might increase the inflammatory response. Mm. Um, it might be interesting to have a look if this increase in the inflammation uh, is beneficial, so mm. that you if you would um, get better even more when you really increase that inflammation, or if it's harmful when you have this extra inflammation. That might be an interesting uh, point to uh, to look at, and yeah. in, and in front of the and in front of and preheating, for example, I think that can have um, a positive effect on, for example, uh, um, maximal um, maximal exercises like sprints, peak power output, because we know that slightly um, warmer muscle temperatures will lead to um, higher performance outputs mm, yeah but I wouldn't but I wouldn't um, I wouldn't use for example a preheating protocol before of um, a cycling or endurance running competition mm. because it's obvious that uh, that this might limit your performance output in the future then yeah and and what's your take on i don't know how it's called is it the contrast therapy that you alternate mm. between cold and hot what, what do you think about that yeah this has this has also been shown to be um to be an effective method um to enhance uh, recovery um however um if the if cooling or contrast water therapy um is better this is something we have to uh, look in the future to um, compare it. Mm. So there is uh, literature available who shows that post-exercise cooling has a beneficial effect 
also contrast uh, temperature or contrast water therapy has shown to be effective. But now we have to look which of uh, these interventions is the best. If it's post-exercise cooling, contrast, mm. or even post-exercise heating. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that that will be interesting findings mm. from the from the studies. And and how about uh, cold exposure for for health reasons? You know, in Finland we have a lot of lakes, and six yeah, months yeah. of the year they are frozen. But we make holes <laughs> to them, and we we jump in. What do you think about that? Yeah, it has um, it has shown that um, these cooling therapies um, has a have a, a beneficial effect, um, not only on uh, well being, uh, but also on the immune system. Mm. So uh, when you do that uh, regularly. Um, but I have to say under a controlled condition because jumping in that extreme cold water is also very dangerous. Mm. Um, this is, uh, this uh, might have a, a positive effect on your uh, immune function. Mm. And, and what, what do you say, what would be the longest time you should do that? Uh, because at least like from a, kind of a personal experience is that if you go mm. outside and it's cold you easily get uh, upper respiratory traction uh, uh, inflammation or kind of a flu flu-like symptoms uh, how, how long should it be that it's healthy and when it turns unhealthy I think there is no uh, real uh, number or time which uh, someone can um, someone can uh, propose I think that's very uh, individual um, mm. and that's an experience everybody has to make uh, by him or herself. I think it's it's a trying out. So I think when you do these kind of cold therapies, you should start slowly. So start, mm. starting, for example, in the shower back home, getting always a little bit of colder and colder water, starting from uh, a couple of minutes and then mm. extend the time. Then you go out and then you will see when you feel comfortable and when your body will uh, react strange. And I think when your body reacts different than you expected, and when you don't feel uh, well, then it's then you know that is your personal limit at this time. And mm. with this personal limit, you can play around. So mm. then you can then you can try to push this border more and more and more. Mm. And and is the idea to get the core temperature down, or is it about skin cooling, or what? What, what do you think is the mechanism? Um, mainly, it is uh, the mechanism to um, to change the the metabolism. Mm. So uh, when you have uh, metabolic changes, this uh, will lead to um, acclimation um, effects to the to the cold. Mm. And um, it's not only the the shell temperature, but it's you really have to uh, influence the metabolism of your uh, of your body to have um, to have an effect of the of the cooling. You mm. know, you can metabolically adapt. You can also um, you can also uh, get more insulation mm. when you have um, when you when you are exposed to very cold regularly and. Uh, you can also get hypothermic, so you can naturally decrease your uh, core temperature when you are regularly exposed to cold. And these are just uh, three main mechanisms of uh, of cold adaptation. 
but you definitely have to uh, affect your uh, metabolism and not only the shell. Mm. So to affect the metabolism, you need to change the core temperature. Am I yeah, correct? exactly. All right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and if you're exposed to cold, I think the kind of natural reaction for the body would be that this person needs more adipose tissue. Is there a link mm. between uh, appetite and adipose tissue and then cold exposure? Um, that's a very good question. Um, we don't know exactly which one of these adaption will, um, will occur. Mm. Um, we see um, there is a trend and we see that uh, people who have already a little bit a higher amount of uh, body fat will react to um, to regular cold with insulative adaption. So this means um, they will gain more body fat while mm. we see, for example, for uh, athletes that they will mainly metabolically adapt. Mm. But the mechanism, which one is for 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 who, is not clear right now. Mm. All right. And why why do you think there's a difference? Could it be related to the amount of fat cells that when you have higher adipose tissue, you actually have fat cells to be filled? But if you have been lean all your life, you don't have the kind of excess fat cells. I think that uh, I think that might be a reason which can count for this uh, kind of adaptions, but um, I also think that it has with the entire uh, metabolism to do. Mm. So um, when you have when you are an athlete with um, very low amount of body fat, your metabolism is already uh, very high, and mm. changes on the metabolism are quite. Um, quite um, common mm. while when you are have a little bit a higher amount of body fat your metabolism is a little bit lower compared to a trained athlete mm. and i think also as you said before with the fat cells this might lead that you will gain much more into this insulation gain more um, gain more uh, fat cells mm. because uh, because the metabolism is um, is uh, is lower mm. Yeah. So would you recommend cold exposure for overweight people or what is your take? Um, I wouldn't recommend that to overweight. In the, in the first uh, attempt, I would uh, suggest that they perform physical activity yeah. um, to uh, reduce their, their body fat. And I wouldn't um, suggest to go into the cold right now. I think there are... Um, other problems for uh, obese people, which they should cope first before mm. uh, thinking about uh, cold therapy. Mm. All right, yeah, that's that's interesting. This is this is very interesting when you live yeah. in Finland and the temperature starts to be freezing, <laughs> and even absolutely, uh, absolutely, yeah, e even a bike ride to office is kind of a cryotherapy with the with the wind <laughs> factor and everything. So I'm 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 very interested. Uh, let me see. So how how about the brown adipose tissue? There's there's some research on it. Have have you have you read these these kind of papers? I didn't uh, had a um, had a close reading to that section. No, sorry. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's no problem. 
and let me see so we have gone quite many many of the things mm. yeah and i i also noticed from your your uh publications that some of your colleagues have been doing about mountain bike injuries have have you been how much you have been involved in these these studies yeah we um we did some uh, a survey for uh, mountain biking yeah and um we looked at um at different uh, risk factors so if uh, people which are untrained if they untrained if they have um, a higher risk of uh, mountain bike related injuries compared to uh, very well uh, trained athletes mm. and uh, we uh, performed the survey of uh, of a one week uh, mountain bike uh, race in uh, Switzerland mm. yeah all right and and we we talked in the beginning about your book. Uh, so where do where can people find the book if they are interested? Um, I'm happy um, to give them um, a copy in the PDF version. It um, can be found on ResearchGate, or if they uh, contact me uh, directly. Yeah, and and what is the best way to contact you? Uh, the best way is uh, via mail. All right, that's good. So if, if you're interested about the influence of cryotherapy to enhance performance and recovery, write an email to Eric and he can he can share it. Uh, it's it's been very, very interesting discussions. I have learned quite a bit about cryotherapy. And thank you for taking the time for this podcast. Thank you, Oli, very much. It was uh, nice uh, discussing with you. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher podcast.